Coming to you live from a fogged out apartment somewhere in the United States, it's the TH Cinema Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the TH Cinema Podcast. My name is Dan, and with me, as always, is the sesame seeds and black pepper to my everything bagel. <laughs> my resolution. <laughs> and I lost my hand to my put the bunny back. Snort. Hello. Silent John. So. And Frank couldn't be here today. So, we just finished smoking a lot of weed. <laughs> yes. As we do. As we do. And today might have been a breakfast burrito, wake and bake type of morning, because we'll be catching a matinee this afternoon. <laughs> it's been a while. I'm excited, though. I, I love a good little little nooner movie. And we'll be seeing The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, starring none other than Mr. Nicolas Cage. <laughs> So, I'm excited for this movie, but I know you two are probably a lot more excited than me. Where is your level of Nick Cage at this point? I, I mean, I think the cage essence is at, at full capacity. Like, I think the, the top is about to explode with what we're going to witness today. I, I think, how, how much bigger can the meme of Nick Cage get at this point? I, I think we're going to get we're gonna get a little bit of uh, all the Nick Cage hits with some uh, new interesting twists on them. And I'm through the roof excited for it yeah i i equate this to a uh, snakes on a plane level <laughs> of like the meme becoming reality and nick cage is just nick cage now and it's beautiful and i'm i'm full cage ready for this i'm at a 10 10 level cage but before we get into that we do want to talk a little bit of movie news Obviously, the biggest thing that happened this week was the drop of the Thor trailer, Love and Thunder. It's about time. I kind of forgot this movie was coming out. And to get this beautiful trailer, my hype might be higher for that than Doctor Strange, weirdly. I just have this soft spot for Thor now all of a sudden. Thanks, Taika. Yeah, it's like Thor was probably my least favorite character, like Hawkeye excluded, uh, for a long time. And Taika's been able to take this and kind of flip it and make it a, you know, a lovable fun character you know and it just goes to show you when somebody puts in the time and the effort like who knows where andrew garfield could have been in spider-man 5 directed by somebody else if they had just let it continue to happen and chalk up the mistakes and get rid of the bad parts see thor's always been my favorite avenger and i've always liked his movies uh but they just keep getting better and better so this is like the most excited i've been for like a marvel thing in a while yeah it's, it's crazy to me to, to to touch on what you said dan I, I used to not care about thor at all i think the second thor is my least favorite marvel movie created and to see how much i have changed my tune on him and how much i've grown to love the character it is just insane to me because there's there's so many fantastic characters in in marvel's universe now and i'm happy that thor rose to the occasion for me yeah i'm very excited to see because watching it with all the guardians in it it's kind of like you're gonna get taiko atiti kind of doing a james gunn movie it's, it's gonna mm -hmm. be wacky that sounds sure. fun yeah i'm totally on board with it it just i'm like i, I want to see what his like at bats gonna be what, what it's gonna look like you know what i mean i almost feel like in a weird way i might enjoy the guardians more with taika involved i feel like he's gonna do them a really good justice in this movie yeah and it looks like we'll get him for a little bit because you know you do have to go from fa uh fat thor down to skinny thor at some point and they're right. still involved 
involved with the skinny tour part, so you're at least seeing them for the first act, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, I, I still want this to be a Thor movie. I don't want them to be in it, like, the whole time. So hopefully they, they get their stuff in, and then they just go do whatever. <laughs> Send them on their way. Yeah, yeah and he's still rocking the uh, Stormbreaker axe right now. Which is such a badass freaking thing. Because the Molnir hammer has landed in the hands of Jane Foster somehow. I don't even remember where it was at the end of Endgame. Like, I remember being in Captain America's hands, obviously, <laughs> at some point. But did he take that back and then, like, lose it at some point during the time traveling? Yeah, that's a good question. Huh. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like we just watched that recently, and I don't know if it really shows. Because I, I, I want to say he took that and the shield back. That sounds right. Huh. Maybe. And the shield ended up in Sam's hands. Yeah. So how did Jane Foster end up with the Molinaire? I guess we're going to find out. Well, uh, come on. They'll address it in this movie, right? Right? Oh, yeah. 100%. They got it. But can we just say even more badass than Thor's new weapon of choice? Natalie Portman as, as Lady Thor. Well, that's even more badass. I mean, yeah. come on. I'm so on board with jacked-ass Natalie Portman coming back. Her arms looked huge. Fucking strangle me, please. <laughs> I legitimately think she looks like she's almost stronger than Chris Hemsworth in this Thor, which is fantastic. So do you think, like, Jane Foster is going to be, like, the Thor villain in this? Like, because it's a, it's a Marvel thing, obviously. You have, like, you know, your person and then the opposite person that they have to fight. So, like, maybe Jane Foster has been taken over by the power of the hammer, and Thor has to set her free from something, and that's why it's love and thunder, mm-hmm. and she's the villain? Maybe. Dang, okay. I'm just speculating here. No insider knowledge. I'm just going with Dan's track record of comic book <laughs> brain things. Well, what do you think is going on with uh, Valkyrie? Oh, sad Valkyrie makes me sad in my heart i think she's just like she took this stupid fucking job <laughs> it's valkyrie's midlife crisis she's the mayor of asgard and it's just this stupid tourist town now where all these goddamn humans come to look at the fucking gods and she's the mayor now and she's got to deal with you know fucking approving fucking like building permits and like you know what i mean like oh she doesn't want to sit in a three-hour meeting about a study about why the traffic light on main street needs to get installed she's goddamn valkyrie she wants to ride a horse with a goddamn sword Dick, it's almost like when Thor passed over the power, he just passed on his midlife crisis to Valkyrie. <laughs> Said, I'm just going to shed this skin, you can have it. And now he's just fucking off doing doing fun little things, and here she is, depressing away. I definitely see her gym in the camera a lot in this movie. <laughs> 100%. You know, I expect this movie to be a lot of fun. It looks very heartfelt. I expect it to be a little bit weird, because it's Taika. In Taika fashion, of course. But we did see another movie this week that was heartfelt and weird and fun are you saying that it had a little bit of everything everywhere all at once it was like an everything bagel (laughs) and of course you put everything on a bagel you know i'm so happy that we got to take you to the theater to see this dan and i'm so happy to see your reaction to this movie that what how what do you take away how do you feel after seeing a movie like this I mean, it's been it's been a few days, so I've had a little bit of time to like you know digest with it and work with it and everything. Yeah. And honestly, I think it's probably gonna end up landing in the top ten favorite movies that I've ever seen. It was the perfect mix of weird, well acted, well shot, clever, heady, loving, sweet. It was it literally had everything on a bagel. <laughs> including an everything bagel and hot dog fingers and just oh god it was just so beautifully surreal and coming from the daniels like i i see the same thing that i saw in swiss army man mm-hmm. when we watched it like it's weird and and surreal but that's overlaying a very real message and the, the below everything below all the fucking spices on the everything bagel that is everything everywhere all at once 
the bread of it all is the mother-daughter relationship and the family and regret in life and it was beautiful. Yeah, I love this movie. I would definitely say it's the best movie I've seen of the year. And I think it could maybe be in, like, my top ten, like, best movies also list. Um, and what's crazy about this movie, though, that I think is the three of us, we have, like, similar movie tastes, but very different movie tastes. And this movie hit for, like, all of us. This movie is the weirdest movie that's, like, for everybody, though, that I've ever seen. And it's insane that they pulled that off and i mean obviously everybody knows how much i love swiss army man so my expectations for whatever came next were pretty high for the daniels and to see them do something like this is only their second feature film and to see the the instant praise as, as people are saying like this is my new favorite movie this is in my top 10 all time like to, to see how they've able to to be their weird selves with swiss army man and just expand that same weirdness to a broader audience in something that's so hot like the multiverse they they took something that is, is hot and just freaking blew the roof off of it in my opinion and now i just want more i crave more from the daniels and i, I don't know what they can do to top this but at the same time i 100 percent expect them to top this at the same time the daniels is the the movie was just the weirdness was over the top weird 100 like it was some of the weirdest stuff i think i've ever seen on tv from confetti heads <laughs> two rocks talking to each other like there was so much surrealism going on but you still never strayed from the actual like real heart of the movie mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but i love the bits about the like intrusive thoughts and that's how you skip universes mm -hmm. and like the the gaining skills it's not just you know keanu reeves like i know kung fu now it's you know you're tapping into this other person but even that the the concept of that is that she is the worst version of herself <laughs> who made every single mistake. So she's the one with the most potential to benefit from other versions of her doing better <laughs> right. because she the, has the ability to tap into all of those missed opportunities. So she's the one, she's the chosen one. Like the worst among us is the chosen person because of their experiences and the best to lead us. Like it's, again, there's so many layers to it. No, I agree 100%. It's I, Like I've said in the past, I love innovative takes on simple topics. And, and I think what the Daniels have proven once again is that they can take any tough-to-talk-about subject matter and present it in a unique and interesting and fun, yet heartfelt way. Um, and I love the wacky adventure they'll hopefully continue to take us on. I, you know, I've seen this movie twice, and I'm hoping to catch it at least once or two more times in theaters, honestly. This is, this is one of those movies where I don't know the next time I'll get a movie experience in this way so i want to take advantage of it for as long as i can <laughs> well you're gonna to have to hold off on seeing everything everywhere all at once for a third time today because we're gonna go see another mouthful <laughs> the unbearable weight of massive talent yo what the heck 2022 what's with these long movie titles yeah have you thought about the people that put the marquees up <laughs> like put the letters up and take them down like they didn't got space for all this shit they ain't got the letters for all this shit they had to buy in inventory there's supply chain issues happening right now and shit What's the, like, shortened version of this movie? Is it the first half or the second half of the title? I've seen a few people just say, like, massive talent. Like, I think we watched a Pedro Pascal interview, and that's what he, he shortened it to. Mm -hmm. I, th I think it needs, like, the, the, the acronym. Like, U-W-small-O-M-T. You womped? You womped. <laughs> you womped. One for you womped, please. Make that two for you womped, please. <laughs> All right, well, we are going to be going to see you womped shortly. <laughs> 
but before we do, I assigned everybody a homework project. <laughs> yeah, you did. It's either going to be really good or it's going to be a disaster. <laughs> One of the two. Ain't that Nick Cage in a nutshell? I was going to say, just like our boy. So I've assigned everybody to pick their favorite cage, their cagiest of cages, the cage that means the most to them in their hearts. And we're all going to be giving little reports in the character of said cage. All right, who's first to bet? <laughs> I could go first. <laughs> All right. Snort, would you like to present your report to the class? I would. Okay. <laughs> My favorite Nick Cage movie is a calmer Nick Cage performance. National Treasures is fun. It's adventure. It's good. No, no, no. It's adventure. It's great. It is great. Nick Cage plays Bill Gates looking for a treasure. Looking for a treasure that results in a fun history lesson with him stealing the Declaration of Independence. Very nice. <laughs> That's as good as a Nick Cage performance as I could get. I, too, am a fan of National Treasure. I love the fact that Nick Cage is in it, and he's trying to subdue the cage the entire time. He lets little, like, nuggets of cage out. Like, he has little cage explosions here and there. But for the most part, he's trying to Harrison Ford it and kind of draw it in, you know? That's what I kind of referenced in my performance. It's my favorite part, of, like my favorite speech of the movie. And I feel like it's a him holding in the cage moment when he goes, the revolution, <laughs> the revolution. He just kind of reels it back in yeah. real, real quick. Yeah, it's kind of like when you've been drinking too much and you like vomit a little bit in your mouth and you suck it back in. And you're like, oh, I'm good. No, no, no. <laughs> Like the cage almost escaped for like, but nope, back down. <laughs> oh, I feel so bad for him because it's such a terrible feeling too. The, the but knowing Nick Cage, I'm sure he took it as a challenge to himself. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he loves doing that in roles like, you know, I'm going to do a little experiment here where I'm just going to be a subdued version of myself. Hey, is Nick Cage the most experimental actor at this point? Oh, he's got to be. He's such a broad horizon of roles. Do you think him in National Treasures then is like his most like normal role? I'd put it up there. Like, I don't think, I think it's the most normal version of Nick Cage. I'm sure early in his career, he's done more normal stuff like Fast Times at Richmond Hines. You know what I mean? Like early Cage before he cageified, before he like fermented into the pure cage that he is right now. <laughs> the, the weird little fun guy he became into. <laughs> so I think it was like the most normal role he could pull off. Yeah. At this point in his life. I can see that. Yeah, that's a very uh, astute way to put it. All right, John, are you ready for your cage report? Not really, but we'll do our best. <laughs> okay, so let me start by saying that this is not my favorite Nick Cage movie, but it is my favorite Nick Cage role. His role in Moonstruck is so brilliant to see Nick Cage so unhinged, so wild and romantic comedy. It's everything I need in I think this just goes to show how great he started off. This is a very earlier Nick Cage film. But what he bursts into in this movie is something that has stuck with me from the moment I've seen it. Nick Cage and his lost hand is something that I will never forget. When he belts out, I lost my hand. I lost my bride. Johnny has his hand. Johnny has his bride. You want me to take my heart I put it away and forget? It's just so beautiful and so pure to me to see Nick Cage at his cagiest in the early 80s. That was a good report, John. Wow. Wow. Well done. You get an A+. Plus. <laughs> it didn't feel so great, so I'm glad that you said that. It makes me, my self-esteem feels a lot better now. That was so good. I, I do have a side note, though, that ties into this movie, but it's a realization I had while kind of thinking about this movie. Uh, we watched House of Gucci last year with Adam Driver, and now I want a movie with Nick Cage as this kind of crazy New York Italian and Adam Driver as kind of a crazy New York Italian in some fashion. I just think it would be... <laughs> beautiful in the 70s they're yes. both cabbies yep yep, yep. um adam driver's his son-in-law oh okay 
and he's working for his dad, his father-in-law's cab company, trying to earn his badge. I could see it. Yeah. And they both get involved in the bank heist. That, that, that's the, the craziness that's, that's I'm the looking craziness. for. That's the Yep, there's got to be a bank heist in there, because there's got to be a cage twist in the second act. Does Cage turn on him, or does Driver turn on Cage? Oh, Driver turned on Cage. Yeah. He just wanted to live a normal life with this guy's, you know, daughter, but... He got wrangled up. He got this. wrangled up into this. You know, Cage has been doing this for a while. He's been running this weird taxi cab bank heist racket for, for a hot minute. Ooh. You know? So he turns, Adam Driver turns informant on the cage, but the cage goes on the lamb. That's some bitch. And now he's out for blood. Wow. But he can't. He can't kill his daughter. Who's the daughter, though? Where are you going with us? I, I just have one, too. I'm going newer, just based off a movie we just watched, honestly. I was thinking Anya Taylor-Joy for some reason. Mm. She was good in The Northman. See, I was going the other way. I was going you go Selena Gomez. Uh, I, I could see that. Where are you going, Snort? I don't know. I was just asking. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, but it has been a hot minute since I've seen Moonstruck, but I do believe that that is, like, the birth of the cage. I, that's that's kind of how I view it. I I mean, it, it's definitely some of his earlier work. And if it wasn't for him, I don't think I would enjoy the movie. And I think that's a testament to him being as great of an actor as he is. Yeah, I, I want to say it would be like the first time that I can think where like he was able to, like maybe in other movies he was able to cage a little bit. Yeah. But this is the first time that they left the cage in. And, and Well, that's the thing. He's kind of all over the place in this movie. You get so many different slices of the Nick Cage pie. And I think it's a good little mini showcase of him. He's not in it a lot either is the crazy thing, but he's the most memorable thing about it to me. It's a wild ride. That was just Ghost Rider. <laughs> well, Dan, what about your Nick Cage report? My favorite Nick Cage movie is Con Air. I think that Nick Cage in Con Air is the cagiest of cages. You get Hero Cage looking like a goddamn lion out there. Main and glorious. Flying in an aerial plane with convicts on the way to see his wife and daughter. He's going up against the anti-cage John Malkovich. Cyrus the Virus, you got Steve Buscemi acting all Ted Bundy in there. You got some Dave Chappelle, little Danny Trejo. He's got so much going on. You got plane crashes on the strip. John Cusack has an afternote in the car chase. It's just a beautiful combination of all the things that make Cage, Cage. <laughs> Bravo. Bravo. <laughs> 10 out of 10 cages. That was so good too. You get an A plus as well. I feel like the the more you channeled the cage, your hair was growing longer and longer, and all of a sudden this gust of wind just blew through. Like, everything slowed down for a moment. Dang, I wish we had Nick Cage wigs to wear. <laughs> no. There'd be so many options. I think that any wig can be a Nick Cage wig. Which cage are you feeling today? No, Con Air's, uh, like, back in the cagey days of the early 90s, mid-90s, like, Con Air, Face Off, you know, The Rock. Like, there was so much cage to choose from. I definitely identified it more with, you know, Con Air, just because it's a little bit... It's a little bit gritty. You got right. that... Wow, 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 wow. You know, you got that great little, like, twang soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, I definitely say, out of, like, that era of Nick Cage movies, that one, Con Air, is definitely my favorite. Yeah, Con Air is just such a fun... <laughs> dumb ride to watch anytime you can you can put that movie on and just laugh and and take in the crazy cage the great supporting cast john malkovich is fantastic steve buscemi is weird as fuck in this movie <laughs> and that's the thing he doesn't even do anything he just is sitting singing and being creepy steve buscemi 
yeah, it's definitely my favorite of that gauge era as well. Like it, like I said, it's it's just all the things that kind of like combine. It's it's ridiculous. It's over the top. It's very Michael Bayish. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I had to look it up after I watched it because I felt like I was like, this is a Michael Bay film for sure. I was very surprised when uh, the end credits popped up and it was not. Do you think Mr. Michael Bay has a nom de plume? <laughs> Maybe just a dad. <laughs> Uh, Conair is one of the, like, most memeable Nick Cage performances also. With his hair blown in the wind, you know, that meme. Oh yeah, just, he's, he's glorious in that fucking movie. <laughs> like, he looks like the Nick Cage Jesus. <laughs> you just want to bow before him in all of his Cage glory. Yeah, I feel like if, if he walked upon me, I would just kind of bow to my knees. Like, yes sir, whatever, whatever you need. Only once he's down to the wife beater, though. Before that, he's not to that level yet. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah, the wife beater shot, slow-mo hair, blowing <laughs> in the wind. That's the, you know, Nick Cage's Jesus at this point. I think that's another one of those pictures we need framed, and we need it with us at all times when we do the podcast. That's what I'm saying. Stained glass, the saint, <laughs> the many saints of Nick Cage. And you just have him in all of his roles, like face-off when he's in the little, like, priest outfit. Oh, yeah. Jesus Nick Cage from uh, Con Air. And then Dracula Nick Cage from the upcoming uh, Dracula <laughs> movie. We need one more, though. We need four. What would be the fourth cage? I don't know. I'm impartial. I like... Who are the four horsemen of Nick Cage? I like Cage in, in Raising Arizona with the crazy fucking hair, mm. the Hawaiian shirt. I'm a big fan of that cage. That's a good cage. That's, That's like funny. Nick Nolte cage. I feel like that lines up kind of with Con Air cage a little bit. You get, like, badass long hair and then wacky, crazy long hair. All right. Well, we got a... Well, maybe the next Nick Cage that'll be in those stained glass pictures will be the upcoming Nick Cage. And that's Nick Cage playing Nick Cage in a Nick Cage movie about Nick Cage. <laughs> oh, the Nick Cage. This, you know, this movie feels so absurd, but so needed at the same time. Like, this is the, the pinnacle Nick Cage moment I think we've all been waiting for, honestly. Yeah, I, I love a good movie where, you know, characters are playing themselves or an exaggerated version mm -hmm. of themselves, like this is the end or something like that, yeah. you know? And I think Nick Cage is, right now, he's very hot. One, he's always been ripe to play himself just because he is a character mm -hmm. of himself in everything that he does. And then you're throwing in a little lovable Pedro Pascal. You got a perfect little recipe there. Yeah, I'm super excited to see this movie. I I enjoy a very, like, meta movie that makes fun of itself and stuff, and I feel like that's what this is. Um, but, I mean, other than the fact that, like, Nick Cage is playing himself and all of this, you know, and we know we're going to get some, like, crazy stuff. Like, I have no idea what's going to happen. Like, not a clue. And, and that's what I love is it's going to, I feel like there's things that are going to be expected and things you're going to be like, whoa, holy shit. I, because I feel like the, the chemistry that Pedro Pascal and Nick Cage are going to have in this movie is going to be like off the charts it's, it almost feels like it's going to be like, kind of like a buddy cop movie to me for some reason yeah i get the same vibe from it um i don't think the trailer is giving away as much of the movie as mm -hmm. they could or that they you know as far as like the plot line goes i think we are walking into this thinking we know what's going on and there's something entirely different going on there's gonna 100 be, fucking percent gonna be a rug pull oh there's gonna be multiple rug pulls <laughs> we do love a good rug pull on this podcast and a ton of callbacks yeah, I know you guys did uh, brush up on your cage so that you could uh, catch the cage references in the upcoming film. Yeah, we did the old face-off Con Air double feature the two nights leading up to this, so uh, I'm excited to see what this movie has in store. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm hoping that it's like a Marvel movie with like, you know, the Easter eggs of the cage past career and, you know, little cageisms and the meme that cage is and has become and always has been. Like, even before, like, internet memes, like, cage was cage. And people still talked about the fact this crazy guy bought this mm -hmm. house in new orleans 
and had a T-Rex skull in the living room. Like, that's like pre-internet cage information. Guys, do you think we're going to see Hugen Hogan the Raven? Oh, I'm sure it was in Nick's contract that Hugen Hogan the Raven has to show up in this movie. <laughs> I hope he comes in and saves the day in some capacity in this movie. That's what I need. Just like that's the that's the third act. Like, <laughs> Hogan! <laughs> and he comes swooping in. You get the slow-mo shot. Just, oh! I mean, I might be fine if, like, two-thirds of the way through this movie is just entirely segues into a lovable story about Hoogan, like, (laughs) on a journey to find Nick again. He's like, where's this asshole? (laughs) Saucy-ass raven. So, I know we watched a movie this week already that had everything. I think this movie's also gonna have everything, just everything that it needs to be in a different cage of film. Every cage, everywhere, all the cages at once. Oh, if that's the third act. Like, all of a sudden, like, I don't know, maybe there's, like, some crazy, like, duplication technology. You know what I mean? Like, because I'm expecting there's some secret military base somewhere on this thing, and, like, maybe there's these, like, things that make all the Nick Cages from his movies come to life. And all of a sudden, all these cages spawn, and there's just like a ninja fight of every Nick Cage you've ever seen. It'll just be like an Area 51 going to place just in the fucking desert, and you get that showdown. All the cages everywhere, all at once. The Nick Cage portal. <laughs> On your left, just starts pouring cages. That's the, the most perfect visual that we're not going to now get in this damn movie. I'm sorry. I know I keep setting us up for disappointments with these weird scenarios that I build in my head. This is this is just a common thing for us. It's okay. I'm used to it. I, I had this moment right now, and I, I still kind of saw it in my head, so I'll take it. I was hoping to use your manifestation powers to make it happen. Now like, it, I know we don't have enough time for that to happen right now. But... If it does happen, though, oh my God. I, I, I can't cage these powers anymore, then. I'll be sure to buzz that one more intrusive thought before we walk into the movie theater. <laughs> You just have to blurt it out loud right as you're opening the door. And I'll just... Mm. All right, guys. Well, we got to seal this cage up because we got to get to the fucking movie theater so we can get some motherfucking snacks and sit down and watch the unbearable weight of massive talent. Let's cage it up. Let's get our cage on. Put the bunny back. (laughs) And now, our feature presentation. Snort and John bought the tickets, I bought the snacks, and we're back, and we just watched The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. I mean, this beautiful bromance of a movie. (laughs) What did we just watch? I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but I was on the edge of my seat from that first scene. It Uh, hit really close to home. A couple of people smoking a little bit of weed, watching some Nick Cage (laughs) movies, waiting for some Uber Eats, and all of a sudden ninjas. So like my my personal fear, I I identified early on with a character in the movie, Mm -hmm. and I felt myself there. So like I, like I said, I was on the edge of my seat the entire film because like that just set it off like, okay, the stakes are already high. They're killing stoners. (laughs) First scene. Yeah, I did laugh at that part, so I was like, this is weirdly ironic. This is like what we've been doing last night, watching Connor <laughs> smoking weed. Well, it, I I think it was one of the 420 episodes. I had just a little moment where I envisioned Nick Cage bringing some Uber Eats up, up to us. And for some reason, my mind went there. I was like, the food's here. They're watching a Nick Cage movie. Is this how like the movie starts? He's down on his luck. He's fucking doing Uber Eats. I would have lost my shit. 
Oh God, if only. But we do find out that the kidnapping victim is apparently the daughter of some politician in Italy or something. B-plot, whatever. Mm -hmm. This movie's about Pedro Pascal and fucking Nick Cage. Nothing else. Everything else is just extra added bonuses or just noise. This movie is about their love. Like you said, that bromance between the two. Well, and it's something that I thought might happen. And I think that it did. Pedro Pascal stole the freaking show in this movie. Every scene that he was in was the parts that I felt were the funniest in this movie. Yeah, but we do have a kind of down on your luck Nick Cage. He's kind of like, you know, trying to get the movie that he wants, but he's not going to get it. Throughout the film, you see a lot of his personas coming out. Like you get a little bit of leaving Las Vegas early on. Mm -hmm. You get a little bit of face off later on. Little Captain Corelli Mandolin when him and uh, Pedro Pascal are enjoying each other's company, you know? It's it's very much, it was a display of all that the cage has to offer. It's essentially just a big old cage highlight reel, and it was, it was beautiful. That's a good way to put it. So the cage is down on his luck, and he's got an offer to go to a birthday party at some island, you know, all, all the stuff you see in the trailer. So he goes and he meets with Pedro Pascal. Pedro Pascal, apparently he's written a script and he wants Nick Cage to star in it, but he's too nervous to tell him. <laughs> and Pedro Pascal playing this Nick Cage super fan is just so much fun. Like, you just see it in his eyes how much he is gushing over this man on his compound. It's so adorable. Like, he's so cute. Yeah, I love how awkward the interactions are and how, how well uh, Pascal does with it. It's it's hard not to just go, oh, you, you sweet little thing. I really want Nick Cage to be in your movie. Yeah, when they got to the scenes where they were essentially just doing a TH Cinema podcast <laughs> with each other. The little, like, montage of them smoking weed and talking about movies for, like, 14 hours straight. Just kind of riffing off of each other. It's beautiful. My peoples. <laughs> What's up, guys? But there could be some potential intrigue going on here, because the, the government's here with Tiffany Haddish, and Pedro Pascal might be a, a baddie. He might be a bad guy. Which seems like an interesting turn in this movie. I, I love them so much that I don't want that to happen. Yeah, I did not expect that. Like, from the trailers and everything. Didn't expect him to be a bad guy. Didn't expect Tiffany Hannish to be the CIA. That was a surprise. <laughs> I don't know. I was very much in the shoes of Nick Cage where, like you, John, I didn't want Pedro Pascal to be a bad guy. Like, I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Right. I loved his little character so much that, no, don't, don't do this turn in the third act. I don't want him to be the bad guy. Well, I think, and there were so many instances where they were, they were rug pulling your ass on it. Like the, the build up to something big revealing of how he's, he's the ultimate villain in all this. And it's just more love for Nick Cage the whole time. (laughs) Yeah, when they uh, when they got to the Nick Cage shrine, <laughs> like I understood that they were building up to that. Like you could hear it in the drama and the music. Yeah. And, you know what I mean. But like the entire time, I'm like, I know exactly what's behind those doors. That's just his love of Nick Cage. Well, and the best part about that scene is even with the lights off, you can see the fucking National Treasure poster, like the silhouette of it. And in reality, that's like Pedro Pascal's character's like National Treasure in the movie. <laughs> It's all just Nick Cage items. Hey, here's a fun question. Out of all of the things that you saw in that uh, shrine, what thing would you want the most? I don't know. I didn't see it, but I'm sure it's in there somewhere. I'm sure the motorcycle from Ghost Rider is around somewhere. You would think so. Pedro Pascal. He, it seems like he has the money, and you know, he's got a he's got a six thousand dollar wax figure of Nick Cage. <laughs> see, I, and I don't know if if. I saw this in there. I feel like I did, but I swore I saw like like a prop of the hand from Moonstruck. Like yeah, kinda, I think so. Like almost like a little trophy looking kind of thing. And of course, I'm all about that. That's right up my alley. <laughs> what about you, Snore? Which one are you going after off the shrine? Um, I don't really need anything. I think I'll just observe 
I think Pedro Pascal would want that stuff more than I would, so I wouldn't want to take it from him. You don't want the bunny? Nah, I'm good. It's cool to see, but I don't need it. I mean, all of it was just there as an opportunity to, you know, let Nick Cage say some more Nick Cagey things. And you know what I mean? Like, for him to reflect on his career. So, while watching this, I actually... Um, I was thinking about another uh, actor down on his lucky type movie. Not not as much fun and plucky as uh, this one was, but Jean-Claude Van Damme in the foreign film J- JCVD, where he plays Jean-Claude Van Damme, who goes into a bank or a post office or something, and the post office gets robbed, but everybody in the country thinks that Jean-Claude Van Damme just snapped because his career died, and he's the robber. Very, very like good, well-done movie for, for a Van Damme film, and it's not too Van Damme-y. But he plays himself, and he does this soliloquy in it, this monologue, and it's like about nine minutes long, and it's one of the most beautiful, like heart-wrenching, like things you can see, because it's like him talking about his career and his mm-hmm. past and stuff like that, and it's one of the, like I said, one of the most beautiful monologues in, that I've seen in a movie. It hits, it fucking hits, and there was a couple of Cage moments in this movie where you could see he's like, you know, he knows he's playing a fictionalized version mm-hmm. of himself, but there was a lot of stuff with the family and stuff that you could see was very like affecting to him, you know? Yeah. And I think- think that this movie deserves major credit in, in the drama field when it when it leaned into those family moments and, and needed the serious cage i mean it delivered and then some like for as outlandish <laughs> as this movie and as meta as it was it, it i like that it was able to balance the seriousness in there so i don't want to say masterfully done but it, it was nice to still see those those small tender nick cage moments that you don't get as much anymore yeah the movie was essentially like a buffet for his yeah. acting prowess like he had the options to do whatever he wanted in various different acts in the film. I think one of the scenes that really hit for him was whenever he was on the phone with uh, Neil Patrick Harris and he was like saying how he was quitting acting, you know? Like that felt like a very like personal scene for him kind of thing. Oh yeah, very, very, very much so. Like he's probably had that conversation with someone at some point. Probably multiple times yeah. even with the career that he's had. But then you get to swing straight from those moments to him and Pedro Pascal on LSD <laughs> getting paranoid and running away and having an action comedy chase sequence with nobody chasing them and nobody filming them or anything just in their own heads like it, it's the perfect blend of everything it's it's nick cage it's an everything bagel of nick cage oh that's an everything bagel i'd love to indulge in it, well, and I think with, with like the, the over-the-wall scene, I mean, that was obviously like the main scene in the trailer, and that's one of my big downfalls with this movie. I do feel like most of the best scenes were in the trailers, but still knowing that it was coming, it was still one of my favorite scenes. The extended version was, was very well done. Yeah, and it, you know, this movie did a good job with the trailer of not giving away too much of the plot yeah. either. Like, you knew it was going to be kind of this buddy thing, but you didn't think it was going to be like this lovable, adorable bromance between these two <laughs> characters. You didn't know anything about the movie plot line side of it with Pedro Pascal didn't really know it like what Pedro Pascal was doing there other than being a rich dude yeah. you, you made those assumptions and I think not giving away all that stuff in the trailer kind of like gives the movie the opportunity to to surprise you throughout with the way that things are going to happen like I mean obviously you know when you see the golden guns in the second act like that's a Chekhov's gun yeah. literally figuratively the whole way through it's going to pop up in the act but when they have them pulled on each other and they're having the standoff <laughs> and they just can't shoot each other it's just 
it hits. Yeah, I love that their their love for one another just shows in, in that scene, and it, it's one of the one of those moments where I'm glad that neither one of them turns on each other. And honestly, like you have the whole like CIA aspect of it, and I, I'm not a huge fan of that. But every intuition that Nick Cage has about you know Javi in the movie ends up being right. The CIA is fucking wrong, so I'm glad that Nick Cage's thespian self was able to sniff out the truth. <laughs> It just makes me feel like Pedro Pascal was, like, the absolute perfect person to play this role. Like, I don't know if anyone else could have done it, like, as well against uh, Nick Cage. Well, oddly enough, Nick Cage actually wanted to play Pedro Pascal's role <laughs> until Pedro Pascal got cast because he wanted the Javi role to be played by himself because he thought it was a better written part, <laughs> which is probably one of the more Nick Cage things to say. But that means that in some Everything Bagel multiverse, there's a Nick Cage movie where Nick Cage stars as Pedro Pascal, and potentially Andy Samberg as Nick Cage stars as Nick Cage. So I don't know which one of those universes I'd rather be in. Yeah, that's for sure another universe. It's a more absurd universe, but I'm, I'm on that absurd train, I think. Yeah, we didn't get our portals moment. We did get a little bit of, like, Nick Cage talking to Nicky. <laughs> Which, I mean, how could you not love little Nicky in this movie? <laughs> when he popped up, though, at the very beginning, I did think it was going to happen for sure. And I was like, okay, it's happening. The portals are opening. When he had the, the scene where he was in the dark room and Nicky popped up, like, right at the end when everything mm -hmm. was going downhill. Like, I thought Nicky was going to be the one that was telling him, like, no, you can't. And then all of his characters from, like, every other movie would, like, stand up behind him and give him words of encouragement. I, I was hoping that was going to happen. It didn't. John, you were so close to being able to manifest that for me. <sighs> I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. I, I thought we were going to witness greatness. And, and, you know, maybe something like that exists. Maybe there's some deleted scenes. This movie seems like there are some good bits that maybe got left out. Oh, there's going to be so many cage bits left out. I'm pretty sure that he improvised a lot of this. <laughs> Well, I, I wonder how hard it is, you know, to kind of dig deep and you're playing yourself, but it's a role that you didn't write. So it's you, but it's not you at the same time. It's it's what somebody else thinks of you. So, I, I mean, to me, it's kind of impressive. So I'd love to see him just riff it on himself. Yeah, and it was the move. The whole movie was kind of a joke of Nick Cage, a secret homage, a love letter too. it was one of those like perfect everything bagels mm, of course of of what a, a good parody comedy love letter reality character movie driven based plot line should be that was such a mouthful you just said <laughs> what else do you expect from oo-womped do you think the acronym is gonna is it gonna stick oo-womped i really hope it catches on hey have you seen oo-womped <laughs> what shit slaps no, but it, in the end, we do get, you know, we get a nice, like, action-y sequence at the, at the very end where they're going through a chase. Nick Cage's daughter gets kidnapped uh, in a very much, like, stranger-than-fiction fashion because they're talking about that happening earlier in the movie. In their screenplay, it was very meta, very in itself. I liked the chase sequence at the end. I thought it was very, again, just a little, like, element of Cage in there. I'm hoping he did all his driving stunts. I would just assume at this point. I mean, you don't brag about it just to not do it. Come on. Pedro Pascal, take it one for the team. Yeah, a lot, a lot of sacrifice there. Pedro Pascal, he would do anything for Nicolas Cage. I don't blame him. See, those are the moments that just tug on those dang heartstrings of mine, I swear. And then to cap it all off, we get the, the fun movie within a movie thing, because as the movie ends, well, as like the chase sequence ends and the, the evil cousin that's the actual drug dealer kind of like is about to get his comeuppance at the embassy. <laughs> Again, very much The Rock, Bad Boys 2, like tick, 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 so many genre ticks in right. there. 
it cuts to a completely different family <laughs> because now they're all in the movie theater watching the movie that this was based on because the true life story that happened with him and Pedro Pascal, they ended up writing a movie about it. And now they're, they're both at the premiere of this movie. We got to go through every phase of how this, this movie within this movie was made. It was a, a very nice touch to such a, such a meta cage flick. But, but that's when it got me thinking like, did this really happen? Like, did this really happen to Nick Cage where he was like invited to some dude's birthday party and the dude wanted to write a movie and then all this shit happened to him and Nick Cage so they decided to write a movie and it stars Pedro Pascal and then in that movie it's the telling of the story how they wrote that movie at the same time you know what I mean like I don't discount the fact that this could have happened to Nick Cage in real life and we just don't know about it I feel like Nick Cage is a goddamn iceberg like we see like the 10% of Nick Cage that's above the water most of the time and maybe a couple feet below we don't see the iceberg of the cage. <laughs> we don't know what his real life is. I mean, it's it's not a, a bad point to make. I feel like if you presented that story to me and asked me to guess what celebrity I thought, you know, that happened to, my mind 100% goes to Nick Cage. Yeah, Nick Cage is one of the few people, few celebrities that, like, when you think about celebrities you could run into, it doesn't matter where you are, Nick Cage is in the running for this. Yeah. Grocery store in Idaho. <laughs> Nick Cage could be there. Renaissance Fair, Scranton, Pennsylvania. Who the <laughs> fuck knows? Nick Cage be, could be there with a sword nonetheless. Just all dressed up. And a goddamn raven on his shoulder. The absence of Hoogan from this movie is glaring and saddening, and we still don't know how to pronounce his name. I'm so, I was so sad about that. I really thought it could have happened. But that brings me to my head. So Nick Cage is like normal life, you know, uh, like with his family and stuff. Very kind of disappointed with that part of it. I don't see normal Nick Cage having like normal like LA home like that, you know? Didn't seem Nick Cage-ish enough no, for me. I, I, I'm with you there. I think that might have been a little bit of a artistic liberties. <laughs> Because I'm pretty sure Nick Cage wakes up in a coffin and sings sea shanties on his way down the stairs to ground up beets and special dirt from Tibet into a, a morning smoothie. Like, there's so many Cage things that could happen in any given day that that just looked too plain. Yeah, Nick I... Cage drunk at somebody's 16-year-old birthday party? No, that, that's what normal folks do. <laughs> I picture him in, like, an old black, uh, like, Victorian mansion. Just a know? very gothic aesthetic. Yeah. He's goth. Didn't you hear? Hoogan just bringing in his daily paper. <laughs> I could see him in the big, like, leather chair. Oh, thank you, Hoogan. You're welcome, asshole. <laughs> Yeah, I would say it's definitely very, extremely hard to, to view Nick Cage as a very grounded family man. He, he's not the, the drunk parent, no. He, he's, the, he's the fucking top of the hill kind of guy. Like, you see Cage up there? He's always watching this town. Yeah, I don't really see him, like, getting the, getting the morning paper from anything other than a raven. <laughs> and then sitting down at the kitchen table eating some eggs and talking about, I don't know, the, the, the Dow. Like, I don't see that <laughs> yeah. being in his normal daily routine. But then I also do see it being in his normal daily routine like once in a while because it would shake up everything else Cage that he does. So it would also be Cage to do that because it's outside of his normal. Right. I don't know. I see Nick Cage as kind of like he's a human, but he's also an experimental art project at the same time. <laughs> But who's in control? Is he in control still? I think he's in control of himself, but distanced from himself as an art project. You see what I'm saying? I think he's both the artist and the project, but he's also both pieces. 
So he's looking at himself as as a canvas in in a sense. Okay, okay. He's just sitting there slinging slinging paint around, seeing what sticks and what doesn't. And occasionally he does the old Bob Ross. You gotta dry that brush off and start over. Exactly. Happy little trees. Damn. All right. Well, we opened this cage, but it's not time to close it just yet because I've come up with a way to move seamlessly. From Cage to Doctor Strange, and also try to harness some of your manifestation abilities. <laughs> okay, I, I won't disagree with whatever you're going to present. Okay, so coming up next on the show, we're going to be watching probably one of the top five KGS Cage movies. It's No the Bees, the Bees, but it's still in the ranker. We're going to be watching some Ghost Rider. Ooh, nice. Sounds like a fun ride to me. It's it's a ride. Um. <laughs> So Ghost Rider actually holds a very special place in Nick Cage's heart. Obviously, his uh, last name is actually Coppola. Mm -hmm. He took the name Cage from Luke Cage because he's a big comics fan. He actually has, uh, I think, something like 11 or 12 tattoos. And one of them is actually of Ghost Rider. Mm -hmm. And he had to cover it up to play Ghost Rider because he can't (laughs) have a Ghost Rider tattoo and play Ghost Rider at the same time. He had it before he was Ghost Rider. Yes. It's one of his, like, older tattoos because he's such a big comic book fan as well as a goth. That's pretty cool, though, honestly. So it was probably, like, kind of a dream come true for him. Yeah, so Ghost Rider is what happens when you get to see a passion project fail spectacularly. Yeah, I haven't seen Ghost Rider, but I've heard pretty much nothing but bad things. But if this could, I mean, it ties him to the MCU with, with all the multiverse things. So I think if we can draw from this Ghost Rider experience as an Andrew Garfield Spider-Man situation, as we've talked about in the past, flick him into current day MCU. I think today's Nick Cage would, would absolutely crush it as Ghost Rider. Yeah, and the movie is all around terrible. Don't get me wrong. Horrible. That's okay. But there is one shining little piece, and that is the man himself, Mr. Nicholas Cage. Because he definitely gives it his fucking all. He carries the movie. I mean, he carries the movie's corpse, the morgue. (laughs) But yes, he carries the movie. That's so sad. (laughs) Well, I think he just has that reputation. I mean, obviously he's in tons of bad movies. But you know that he is going to give everything he's got at it. And it still makes you curious about it. So I don't care how bad any of his movies are. I will still give it a shot due to what he might give me back, you know? No, there are definitely specific scenes in this movie where the director asked Nick Cage, asked Nicholas fucking Cage to give 110% on something. And that's just like opening a fucking reactor. Like, we don't have the power, Captain. This is too (laughs) risky. If we do this, we could destroy the universe. This is the crack that begins. I don't know. I, I I could use some 110 Nick Cage in my life right now, I think. So if you can also use 110% more Nick Cage in your life... Go find us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, at TH Cinema Podcast. We're posting fun, cool stuff all over the place. Uh, make sure to give us a rate and review on Spotify and Apple. We'd appreciate it. And that's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, we enjoyed The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. We hope you go watch it, and we hope you enjoy it as well. And if you see three people walking into a movie theater after the trailer started with bags full of sour candy and possibly some pursed marshmallows, come over and say hi. That might just be us. Okay, bye. Bye. Nick Cage kisses himself. You can love yourself. Goodbye.
Could we can we get Nick Cage playing Bob Ross? Oh, Whoa. I would watch that. I weirdly it just seems like it works all of a sudden. Dude. Only if Bob Ross could be having Vietnam flashbacks oh. at the same time. Walking around, walking around work after watching that movie was difficult. <laughs> the next day in the morning, before I had my coffee, on the way in, I'm walking by the kitchen to go get my coffee, and there's the sauce on the burritos, and there's like 15, you know, 15 burritos lined up on each side covered in sauce, <laughs> like in a nice little boo doo 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 And the first thought I had was, run your hand through that. I get, and I had power. to resist. I had to resist so hard. <laughs> I wonder where it would have shot you, though. What were you thinking about at the time? I need coffee. <laughs> you would have went to some weird coffee universe. Where we're all, we're all coffees. <laughs> I am a tall latte. Or you just like blow like steam and stuff out, you know, you burn people. When you blow your nose, it's coffee beans and shit. <laughs> no, I think I'd end up in the Ratatouille scenario <laughs> with a raccoon yeah. in a coffee shop being a barista with the most ridiculous hat on. It's honestly like my favorite bit of the whole movie. It's just this long recurring joke that pays off so hard. Raccoonie!